0: The the peasants' revolt was almost the most successful feudal revolt, and I say almost because it well it came very close.
1: Welcome to Off Script. I'm Liam Gibbler, and this is the first of our spotlight interviews. These are non-promotional interviews on a subject that the guest is interested in. They don't have to be an expert. It doesn't have to be super planned out. In this case, Tracy and I just worked together to come up with a way to share what he's really passionate about, which is medieval history. And hopefully we can, in this episode, help educate people on that topic because it was really fun for me to learn about too. And we're gonna keep doing these spotlight interviews moving forward in addition to the normal promotional interviews. So that invitation is extended to you. There's a subject you're really interested in and you want to talk about it on off script? reach out. You know, I'll see what I can do. It's Liam Gibbler on Instagram and Liam N. Gibbler on Facebook. What you need to know about this interview is we're talking about critical events in the 14th century. Sometimes that gets a little complicated. It's okay to feel lost. Every few minutes, I try to reiterate the information we're covering. And then at the end, there's an overview of everything we talked about. At the time of the interview... <laughs> At the time of this interview, I made Tracy record his own topic intro, and I'm not sure if I'm going to keep doing those or not, but I left it in because I think it's funny how he pronounces the word medieval. I hope you enjoy.
0: My name is Tracy Jones, and this is Medieval War and Politics. So how long have you been interested in this stuff? What's going on? Uh, So, I have been interested in the late Middle Ages for a few years now. Um, I went to England with Hmm. my mom, and I fell in love with the country and went to a bunch of museums and stuff, and uh, yeah, I was like 14 probably time, maybe 15, and yeah, I've, I've just been interested in it and studying it pretty much all the time ever since.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know you've been reading a lot of those, those books, and it seems like you've always got some new, like, interesting data about some time here to another.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I do spend a lot of my time reading uh, just really uh, obscure stuff. Because I don't know, I like studying things that, uh, that interest me, but also that maybe I can shed some more light on, hmm. uh, not only for myself, but for other people as well. Just things that, that you wouldn't normally hear about.
1: Sure. Yeah, so I can see, like, um, you're interested in history, and maybe instead of talking about something that's been covered so much, like maybe one of the world wars, like, all right, how can I get a little more specific with this and make this more of a niche interest, you know? How can I... Um,
0: yeah, and kind of relate that to my heritage hmm. and ancestry.
1: Because uh, you are English, right? Or
0: I, I am very English, yeah. I mean, you're American. But I, I am American, but uh, my granddad was born in southern England, hmm. and his whole family was from there for... Generations. My mom was almost born in England, Mm -hmm. but but she went to America.
1: Skipped across the pond. Yeah,
0: they they dipped (laughs) pretty (laughs) quickly.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, uh, you've got a pretty strong hobby in fencing, and I think that's kind of tied into this. It's just, um, uh, you know, you've got that connection because of how popular it was in the Middle Ages. And I mean, it wasn't just a hobby for them.
0: Yeah, no, it was a Sort of a, well, I don't, I don't want to say a necessity, but um, very strongly ingrained in the culture, and in some places like uh, Germany, it's it definitely took a much larger role than in say England or France. Um, Germany and Italy were known specifically; they have tons of surviving. Uh, fencing manuals from the period, um, they were sort of the the cultural hubs of fencing and mm. uh, armor production, two of the leading countries in that. Um, but looking at England and, and France specifically, they had much more strict um, rules around that, uh, around the ownership and carry, carrying mm. of swords. Good.
1: What did you say? Summatory laws? Was that something? Sum- sumptuary laws. Sumptuary laws, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so, sumptuary laws are basically just rules for the lower classes set in place by the higher-ups, the nobility, hmm. um, to sort of control what they can and can't do. For example, you know, controlling which dies they can wear on their clothing. You know, red was a noble color, purple was a noble color, and so peasants um, or just regular people, you know, they probably wouldn't be allowed to wear red or purple or... uh, Gold and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or um, they also wouldn't really be allowed to carry swords um, within towns. Mm. You would generally have to Um, give up your sword at the gate unless you were it specifically says in the surviving um, laws that we have from around the late 14th century Mm. um, that you can't carry a sword in town if you're not noble unless you are entering the city or leaving the city Mm. Um, so I mean yeah I guess you you Get it back, which is good if you're in town. If you're staying at the the local tavern or something, but
1: they're really trying to uh, encourage against um, any sort of uh, like violence or um, the possibility of even revolt, which I guess we into yeah, yeah revolt, which I can imagine um, with the peasants' revolt, there mm-hmm. might have been something going on there.
0: Yeah, the the peasants' revolt was almost the most successful feudal revolt. And I say almost because, it well it came very close. Uh, so the peasants' revolt was led by a man named Watt Tyler. Hmm. And what Watt Tyler wanted was for the peasants and the nobles to be on equal footing. Hmm. Uh, he was he was pretty sick of the feudal system at this point, and he knew a lot of the peasants and serfs. Um, felt the same way. So in around 1381, um, they gathered a small Mm. army and ended up, uh, storming London Mm. and took the Tower of London, killed pretty much everyone they found inside, (laughs) which, you know, it's not great for their image, but it works. (laughs) And basically forced, um, the King, Richard II at the time, to to tell them, you know, uh, yeah, if you stop destroying London, you know, I'll abolish the feudal system, or I'll make serfs, um, you know, have more rights, equal enough to nobility. And so, Watt Tyler agrees, and they withdraw from London, and what ends up happening is Richard II did not mean what he said, <laughs> of course. Mm.
1: Um, losing s- up to the shortened version of his name?
0: Yep. <laughs> yep. So, a scuffle, a little kerfuffle if <laughs> you will, right. breaks out and uh, Watt Tyler is killed and this pretty much disperses the peasants. Mm. They were so close to overthrowing the monarchy, but at the same time I I would argue that they weren't close because it was never really going to be that collapse of the feudal system that they wanted. Mm. Richard II would, would not budge, and he was a king. He displayed some mental instability okay. during his reign. Um, And I think his erraticism and the way he made laws would have prevented the death of the feudal system no matter what. So can you go a
1: little bit more into the feudal system? Like, What was that looking like for um, lower class people?
0: So the lower classes in, in the feudal system, um, specifically in Western Europe, you have um, serfs at the very bottom. Um, <clears throat> and serfs, they're a bit different from peasants in that serfs are tied to their land hmm. and basically forced to work for their landlord.
1: So kind of like indentured slavery. Yeah,
0: kind of like that. And it the land gets passed down generationally to their sons or, or daughters um, to cultivate it. But at the end of the day, they're not going to get out of it because they have to answer to the landlord mm-hmm. and whether the landlord wants to sell the land to, say, like a church or um, like a very wealthy organization who would have good land, uh, you know, cultivate the soil well. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know. And so... Right. They're, they're pretty much just stuck their entire lives. And they don't Uh, even
1: know if the land quality is going to remain there, you know? Yeah. Because it's up to that landlord to kind of maintain it until it would pass to the source children. Is that right?
0: right? And then peasants uh, are a next step up. And the very definition of a peasant is just a farmer. Mm -hmm. He's not tied to any land um, inherently. Uh, So some landlords could be wealthy peasants. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically just working other peasants to make their land very arable you know good good to grow stuff in and productive hmm. because the way they're going to make all their money in this period is they're going to trade their crops and they're going to circulate it around Europe hmm. and one of the best ways to make money in that period was sheep so if you had sheep you could make wool and wool <laughs> That's hard to say. (laughs) Wool uh, probably is the most valuable commodity uh, other than silk. Mm -hmm. Um, It's what they made their clothing out of most of the time, unless you were very rich and could afford nice silk clothing. Mm -hmm. And occasionally sheep could also provide you with meat. They didn't generally like to slaughter uh, lambs because of the wool, Mm. but if you're starving, a good lamb chop is going to get you. Well, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so you kind of mentioned earlier about uh, this monarchy we've got in place for, you know, it's been around for as long as England's been around, there's been this monarchy. Mm -hmm. And during this period, in particular in the late Middle Ages, we're looking at a very unstable time. We've got nine kings in 148 years. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? Why are they unable to keep the power?
0: So this was a time when England was very much a rival with France again. Mm-hmm. They had a bit of peace um, after the Norman conquest which happened in 1066 where the French Normans basically came And took over England and pretty much I mean they changed almost the whole English language in general and established the feudal system Mm -hmm. as we knew it so at the beginning of the Hundred Years War which which is probably the most important conflict in late medieval Britain and Mm -hmm. France there's there's some peace between England and France. They intermingle. And they intermarry, and then in the the middle of the fourteenth century, or sort of the the turn of the beginning in the middle, <laughs> <laughs> right. if that makes sense. Um, it doesn't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so around thirteen thirty-seven is when. Uh, most people agree the Hundred Years' War started officially. Okay. Right. Um, Goes for. <clears throat>
1: I don't want to guess how long.
0: Well, you would think it was a hundred years, but it's actually one hundred and sixteen years. Okay. Um, Didn't want to round up, so I feel a bit scammed when I learned that. <laughs> so, the main instigator of the of the conflict is Edward the Third. Mm. Um. And he was coming off the back of his father, Edward II's reign, who really didn't do a good job of running the country. You know, he he didn't want to be king. Uh, He made some questionable decisions, and people just wanted him out. So Edward III's mother uh, basically overthrew Edward II and put Edward III in place. So (laughs) it sounds, it sounds like a lot and it gets more confusing
1: because there's so many Edwards. Yeah. They're all Edward, Henry and Richard, right? those
0: are literally the three main names for the next 148 years. (laughs) Um, Here we go. So Edward III decides he is the rightful ruler of France. Um, His grandfather was the king of France. And so he feels he has a claim. And so what he does is he tries to convince the English nobles to follow him on a northern French campaign Hmm. into the historically English-held provinces in France of... um, I'm blanking on the names. (laughs) I know it's Aquitaine. Um, Calais. They've held Calais before... I believe, uh, which is in the very... It's right next to England, so it makes sense. Um, So kind of like, if we were looking at modern day, like,
1: Russia feels that claim to places like Ukraine. Right. Right.
0: Um, So, eventually he convinces them, and in the middle of the 1340s uh, is when he embarks on his first... Uh, French campaign, hmm. and so English warfare at this time is changing rather drastically okay. from the the older medieval period. So in the older medieval period um, Well, not not really early medieval, but the high medieval period from about 1066 at the Norman Conquest to uh, the late Middle Ages. Um, Which
1: really confused me in art history, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. The late medieval period comes after
0: the high medieval. It confused oh. me too. Um, <laughs> but the main English style and French style, they've been historically very linked. Okay. Um, war fairly. <laughs> Just made up a new word. There you go. Um, they expressed a preference for a heavy cavalry. Hmm. Yeah, heavy shock cavalry, outflanking the enemy, and ultimately, you know, brute forcing their way, while, whilst being tactic, tactical. Tactical. <laughs> that was embarrassing. <laughs> um. <laughs> you mean like so
1: when you're talking about um, like the cavalry, this stuff? or we we're talking like traditional like?
0: swords and horses. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the main cavalry weapon is the lance throughout the entire medieval period. Your main weapon is going to be this long stick (laughs) and you just want to ride on the horse and sort of point it at someone. Mm. And that's... It was effective, you know? I can imagine. Yeah. Um, And if you lost that then you would use a sword. Um, so most
1: of these guys, they've got multiple weapons on them. They've got their lights yeah, and then mm-hmm. Maybe some sort of short sword or whatever. Yeah.
0: So using a sword from, from horseback is not something that generally happened first in the medieval period. We see that more towards the, um, the 18th century mm-hmm. uh, in cavalry sabers. But that's off topic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Um, uh, Edward the Third, his his French campaign sort of concludes with the battles of Cressy in 1346 and then Poitiers in 1356.
1: And he's relying heavily upon that, like cavalry and those sort of.
0: Well, at this time, there the English are sort of expressing uh, a favoring of dismounted combat. Okay. So, they're realizing the strength of their English and Welsh longbowmen. And the longbow is really the key weapon in all of the Hundred Years War. Um, it destroys the French army at Cressy and at Poitiers, um, wherein the English army is led by his son, uh, the Black Prince. And
1: By Edward III's sons? Yeah. Okay.
0: So Edward III's son, the Black Prince, sort of picks up his uh, his campaign in France. Um,
1: after his father's death?
0: Or no, uh, not after his death. He's just sort of picking up some slack throughout okay. this like, campaign. It's like Edward's,
1: you know, he's pretty busy, mm-hmm. you know, trying to take over France. Yeah,
0: the king's kind of busy, so he decides he's going to lead his army into northern France okay. and defeat the French army at Poitiers. Gotcha. Um, which he decided beforehand, of course. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, it was a spur of the moment. Yeah.
0: Um, <clears throat> so what ends up happening and throwing this English, um, monarchy into chaos is kind of, so Edward III's heir was the Black Prince, but he ends up dying before Edward III, hmm. um, before his reign ends so So there's no heir yeah so he's left without an heir um and then he dies a year after his son in in 1377 Mm -hmm. so what ends up happening is the black prince's son who's about 10 (laughs) they decide that he's going to be king next so he is crowned richard ii um, who we
1: got at, talked about earlier. Yeah,
0: who 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 sort of destroyed the Peasants' Revolt later in the 1380s. So, um,
1: so this little boy turns out to be really kind of cunning and ruthless later in life. He,
0: yeah, he does. <laughs> um, an interesting thing during Richard II's reign is that he is sort of rebelled against by who are called the Lord's Appellant. Okay. They're basically a bunch of lords who decide, I really don't like Richard or his policies, so we're going to overthrow him. And one of these lords is his cousin, uh, Henry, the Duke of Lancaster.
1: So it really is not just because of the name, but it is kind of Game of Thrones-esque, right? It is. Because they're all related, (laughs) and they all have claims, and they're all trying to take each other out.
0: Yeah. Or, sorry, he's not the Duke of Lancaster yet. Okay, but his, he his, will be. He will be. His father, um, John, he is the current Duke of Lancaster. And basically, Richard, um, after John's death, decides that Henry is not going to inherit his father's um, duchy. Hmm. Um and this kind of pisses Henry off. He's like, bro. I can imagine. <laughs> what <Yeah>. the fuck? <laughs> and um, so he intends to... So he's been exiled at this time. He's living in exile in France because of his rebellion against the king. Mm-hmm. And he was actually the only one who wasn't directly punished. Okay. Um, and instead simply exiled. So he comes back with a force from France, and I believe some some help from Burgundy, and he decides that he's going to take back his duchy um, and reinstate himself as the Duke of Lancaster. But he quickly realizes that he has enough support to overthrow the king completely. So what he ends up doing is... Capturing Richard, placing him in prison, um, and he is crowned Henry IV. It's unclear how Henry, or sorry, how Richard died whilst imprisoned. Some say he starved to death. Some say he was murdered. We'll never know.
1: But it was, it was painful.
0: It, it was definitely painful. And Richard... Sorry, Henry. <laughs> this is what I mean. It's because <laughs> uh Henry definitely wanted him to suffer a little bit. Um, so what we're looking at through all this to kind of sum up is we've got this
1: period in uh, Western Europe and we're looking at mm-hmm. mostly uh, France and England. Right. Where you know, you've got this conflict of the Hundred Year War... And you've got Edward II taking control. He's like, I have this claim to France, or this section of France. And he goes, he does his fighting, he brings his son in, and there becomes this whole big conflict. But his son dies, Mm -hmm. and then he dies. And then there's no one to lay claim to the throne, except for this little boy, Mm -hmm. who ends up being King Richard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we're looking at King Richard. He survives one revolt, only to be taken down by another one
0: yep so yeah it's and this is and this is only sort of the first half of the hundred year years so already it's very it's a very violent and um, tumultuous time of kings overthrowing each other boy kings coming uh, and doing weird shit and yeah yeah well, thanks for coming and talking to me about it. Yeah, my pleasure. It was, it was fun.
1: That was Tracy Jones debuting our first Spotlight interview. Thanks for helping me launch that, Tracy. Off Script with Liam Gibbler is a Broadside podcast. For Central Oregon news and events, visit the BroadsideOnline.com. Special thanks to Lily Rath McCullough for funding, and Jake Wilson-Goodwin for audio consultation. Offscript is becoming a bi-monthly podcast. You can expect the next episode on Monday, February 20th. Um, I don't have too much to promote right now, but most Mondays you can find me at the Comedy Open Mic at Silver Moon Brewing. That show starts at 7. Then Wednesdays I'm at the Open Mic at Craft Kitchen and Brewery. That show is at 8. This Saturday, February 11th, is the Black Excellence Talent Show at the Ben CoCC campus, and that performance starts at 6. Thanks for listening.